Are you looking for a practice coach? If you are, go to ptpracticesuccess.com. At the very top of the page, there's a button. Just click on that to find out more. Welcome to the PT Practice Success Podcast. My name is Sean Kirk, CEO of PT Practice Success. In this podcast, we're going to be going over a variety of different things that can help you with your practice. I hope you enjoy what's coming. The following podcast is taken from a webinar delivered by Sean Kirk in February 2022. We're going to go ahead and get started. If you don't know me, my name is Sean Kirk. Um, I'm a physical therapist. I've been a, uh, a private practice owner for a number of years, sold that, started a consulting firm. Um, we eventually grew to um, three locations in, in Florida, uh, Vancouver, and um, in Seattle. We've trained over 2,600 private practice owners in practice management and um, really helped them grow. We've created over 30 5,000 award-winning practices. And so today I want to talk to you about kind of how we can drive your practice success, become more profitable, grow the practice, better your bottom line, all the fun things, right? I'm going to try to jam it as fast as I can in about an hour. And ho- hopefully you can provide some information that you can use. I will say it's the number one way in which I get clients. So, you know, don't be surprised by that. Um, you know, people who know me or feel that they know me or feel that I could help them are usually the ones I'll connect with to, to work with down the road. Okay. So if we can, let's continue. Your profitability in business will depend on three things. Okay. It'll per- it, it will be determined by your leadership skills. It'll be determined by the team that you have and by your know-how, okay? So a lot of times people say, well, just tell me what to do. It's like, well, okay, um, be a better leader, you know, inspire, get people to get things done, right? Um, but then there's some know-how. So we're going to talk first about leadership, right? Your leadership skills and go over some subject, some data about that particular thing. And then we'll dive into some more details after, okay? So starting with leadership. So what does leadership mean to you? It can mean a variety of different things. It can mean getting people to follow orders, um, being the person in charge, um, whatever you want to call it, but just define it a little bit, okay? So leadership is the art of motivating a group of people to act toward achieving a common goal, right? So it's motivational, right? Being a good leader is to inspire. I mean, you can do it with a whip, but but you don't get as much work done, right? So um, we want to be able to inspire leadership. So here's a fun fact, and this is important because, you know, particularly as we move into 2020 and the changes that are occurring and declining reimbursements and blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a violin we've been playing for many, many years. It's going to get increasingly more difficult to survive in any, any private practice setting, any healthcare setting. So really it's just the guys who really know how to run a business well will survive. Now, what I will tell you is there's a one basic thing when you're implementing change is that all change will be met with resistance. If you don't have any resistance, when you want to impart some kind of change within your practice, you are just um, not going to make change. So if you talk to your staff, you go, look, we need to be doing the following things and move into the new year to better our bottom line, to improve our ability to take care of you and, and improve our ability to compete in the marketplace in 2022. If the group goes high five and gets all excited, chances are uh, inside they're rolling their eyes and they're probably going to do the same thing they've been doing. 
Um, whenever you try to implement change, just expect a little resistance. Don't fight it. Don't get all worried about it and don't lose sleep over it. It's just expected. You know, anytime you say, I'd like you to do this, they're either going to say something or they're going to do something. Just expect it. Then you'll never be shocked, right? You'll never be shocked. So a good leader should expect some resistance as they make some change, right? So Unfortunately, this is kind of what I've been seeing, you know, is if, you know, if we don't change anything at all, maybe something magical will happen. Right. And we'll run into that. Um, it's like, well, you know, I, I remember in my other consulting company, we would talk to physical therapists and re- on a regular routine basis. And sometimes you go, well, how are things going? Well, I'm doing about 150 visits a week. Okay. And you try to get them to do something, accept our help or accept anyone's help to grow their practice. And they say, well, you know, I really can't not, not right now. I'm going to wait until something else happens, right? A year or so later, we talk to him. It's 120. Next a year or two later, we talk to the same guy. He's doing under hundred. Next year later, he's doing like 85 and you go, man, it's always dark. It's just before the lights go completely out. So sometimes you being able to make the change is what's necessary. But if we don't change anything in this new year, if we don't change what we're doing, we're going to be having some troubles. What I, another thing I would say is if we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to keep getting what we've got. And I think that's an important thing to, to, to look at, you know, too often what we're doing is we're doing the same thing all the time, all the time. We're, we're treating our patients. We're doing the best we can with our patients. Um, you know, we, we do everything the same way we've been doing it and you're watching your volume drop and you're watching more aggressive competitors come in and do things that you should have done or never thought to do, didn't really have to, but then you lost your top referral sources. I mean, sometimes I find practice owners have been doing this for 25, 30 years, and they're wondering why they're dwindling. Well, all their top doctors retired and they're still working, right? So uh, sometimes that's the problem. But if you keep doing what you're doing, you keep getting what you've got. And if you're knocking it out of the park, pedal down, my friend, pedal down. But if you're not, you have to start looking at making change. And that requires you to perhaps maybe know a little more but it also requires you to lead a little better, right? Okay, back to it. So being a great leader requires great sales skills, okay? Really, you're selling ideas, you're selling concepts, right? You're trying to get the group to buy in. So what are you actually selling, right? Well, what you're selling is agreement and cooperation. You can get one without the other. So you can have a staff meeting, go over some of the changes that you'd like to make in the the new year. You can discuss a variety of different things. We'd like to you know, pay attention to our coding. We want to look at our rule of eights opportunity every time it pops up. Um, you're having all these conversations and everyone goes, yeah, it totally makes sense. You got it, boss. I'm all over it. But they don't do it. They don't cooperate, but they surely agree. And sometimes we have a very agreeable staff. And I'll talk to many practice owners who will just rave about how wonderful their staff are until you try to make change. And as soon as you start trying to make change, you realize just how uncooperative they are. They've been agreeing, but they've never been forced to change. Okay. And when they're forced to change, that's when they don't like to play with you anymore. Right. Of course, it's an environment where we don't want to take anybody off. Not now, not ever, but uh, we have to sell um, with our staff agreement and cooperation as a leader. And we're going to be recommending some changes here. Okay. So transparency. In order to be able to give people what they want or understand what they want, they're going to have to understand that we need to be transparent a little bit in what we're doing. So, you know, if we want to share with the the clinical team, we're all staff, like the state of the union for ABC physical therapy in light of the recent Medicare cuts, 
Um, you know, we have to be able to provide a little bit of data, but just how much data do we want to provide, right? How deep of a, you know, dive into your business or personal finances do you think is necessary for your staff to know about where they can recognize that for them as staff members to do better, the organization has to do better. The group has to come together stronger as a team, right? So how far are we willing to go? So if we look at things, we have concerns. Everybody's got concerns, right? So we're worried about the future of our profession. Employee is worried and owners are worried, right? So everybody's worried about what's going to happen in the future of physical therapy or any healthcare service for that matter, right? Are we, are, are we going to be delivering the same care five years from now that we're delivering today? Are we going to be doing the same types of treatment in general as we do today? Okay. We evolve. We've evolved into um, something entirely different than what I've seen years ago, right? So we're worried about the future of our profession. We can both agree on that. So if I was an employer and all y'all are employees, you know, this is something that I could agree with. I could see that there is a, a bit of a concern there in regard to um, what the future looks like. So we were also kind of worried about our financial future as an employee. I mean, when I got out of school, right, you know, I, I you know, did all my notes on a stone tablet and all, but when I got out of PT school, um, my, I, I, my first job, okay, first job made $26,500 a year. My school loans was $27,000. I remember having chest pain. I was so stressed out over that. Now, some of you on this call would probably be like, are you kidding me? You know, I got out of school with over $200,000 in school loans, right? So we're worried about our financial future. Um, we have a shrinking reimbursement environment and we have a very high cost for labor, right? So both parties are worried about their own financial future. Employee, as it has to do with him or herself, and the owner, when it has to do with not only themselves, but the overall organization, right? We also want to have greater security. You know, employee wants to know that the, the company is going to be around next year, right? Boy, that's going to be determined by you if you're an owner on this call. You know, that employee's comfort level of he or she has a future with your practice has everything to do with how they feel you lead. Okay. And of course the owner wants more security, right? And the only security that you'll ever find is one that you learn and apply, right? Um, you can only get handouts for so long, right? So we commonly, we have too much debt. Employees have a lot of debt coming out of school uh, or just in general, not all, all employees are clinicians, right? Owners, either we have a lot of debt or we're worried about accumulating debt. Um, same problems as everybody else, right? We're searching for an ideal compensation model, maybe even more importantly than an ideal work environment. And I'm seeing that more and more. Um, clinicians have become more savvy to the dollars and cents of the game to some degree. Um, I think it's time we take the veil off just a little bit more, start sharing a little bit more information about what's going on. But an employer has a different thing. He also has, he's trying to balance the high standard of care. He wants to deliver great care, but he's having to confront having to do that with a shrinking reimbursement dollar. This last concern is usually when the employee doesn't share, the owner has it alone. This is what keeps the owner awake at night, trying to figure out how to deliver that standard of care that they've been so proud of. And yet, get paid $25 less a visit. And yet every employee doesn't take a pay cut. And most people get a raise year over year. It's hard, 
right? So we need to bring as, as owners, we need to bring the employee into the conversation. We need to share with him or her kind of where we stand uh, financially within the practice. Um, otherwise, it just seems like you're cracking a whip. And if you're trying to get people to produce a little bit more, it can come across like you're you're cracking the whip. Okay, so get your numbers together so that you can set expectations. I can't go over that more importantly than I am right here. Is is that you have to have your numbers. If you don't manage with numbers, you're not managing your business. That's all there is to it, right? If you're just like waiting till the accountant tells you how you're doing, you're in serious trouble, right? But not only for you as a, a business owner, but all staff members are many managers, if nothing more, for what they already are producing on the job, for their own job. If I'm the receptionist, I am the manager of the front area, the front desk. I have statistics that I keep and I am responsible for. I prepare for my staff meeting and I'm ready to defend my actions of the prior week, right? If you can get everybody to own it like that, things go a lot easier. And you'll, ha- you'll find yourself having to give and offer less orders to your staff to actually get things done, right? So when you find yourself having to give a lot of orders, you've already lost the cooperation side of agreement and cooperation. So get your numbers together so you can set some expectations, right? So these, these particular statistics are, are numbers that I put together that are ideal and then we have our present numbers. Now you may not go, I don't think these are ideal. I think they're too low or too high, but usually they aren't high enough that people get too freaked out, right? So this is an example. But if we look at our standards of care, like we're delivering, um, as we move into 2022, we got to tighten it up, right? But it's not, it's not so much that we have to see so many more patients as much as we need to make sure we're not letting money slip through the cracks. Very important in your profitability is your attention to detail, right? So we're looking at visits per hour, right? How many visits per hour? Well, let's say say you wanted above 2.0 or above visits per hour, right? Now you would adjust that. If you'd see a new patient for an hour versus a half an hour as an example, then then you would adjust that number accordingly. I have a spreadsheet. If you want it, look, reach out to me. I'll let you get it. But um, it basically does the math for you. If so, if you count a new patient as two units of time, two 30-minute blocks, then it does the math and gives you your kind of adjusted number there for you. Anyway, your arrival rate, right? Um, we like to see 95%. We can pull that off. We've done it millions and millions of times. Um, but it, at least 92%, man. If you're if you're at below 92%, it's a real problem. If you're running in the middle 80s, you are losing buckets of money because that's one of the easiest stats to manage. And if that stat's not managed very well, you are losing tons of money, okay? Because everything else is going to be bad. Um, because it's the most obvious thing. Did they show? Did they not show? Right. So if we've got a 15% or 85% arrival rate, there's a lot of stuff we're still messing up on. Frequency. How often do we see the patient? So um, per week. Now, most people will say two to three times what we're shooting for is what we really like to have, but we, you know, we, we we're pretty close to that. Then when you, you pull back the veil and you really look, a lot of practices are running at 1.5. I've seen them as low as 1.3. Um, visits per patient per week. And yet that particular practice says that patients should come two to three times a week. That's how poor control is for that practice. Now, some will say, well, if you're going to see a patient for let's say 12 visits and you make those 12 visits last nine weeks versus making those 12 visits last five to six weeks, 
what is the difference? It's still 12 weeks. And what I usually like to toss back is like, well, will most people like their annual salary paid out over 18 months or would like to have it paid out over 12, right? If you can move your dollars closer to now, you're going to be more profitable and you'll get people used to running at a faster pace. And it, as you drive in more new business, you'll, you'll actually begin to grow your practice. If you stretch it out, and lighten the load, like when you're really busy, and you start like kind of getting really light on your scheduling frequency um, because your your schedule is full. You can hide the fact that you should be hiring. You can hide it. So stretching things out is not necessarily a good thing. Visits to discharge. Where are we going? We're running maybe twelve, but we want to be at least that, right? Uh, some run higher. Some some that run a lot lower are just patients are ruling the sick, the place, right? So skilled units per visit. Like what do we get now, right? Maybe we can get four out. I'm not asking you to do something you can't do, right? So if you, based on scheduling or whatever, don't roll your eyes at 4.0, right? But if you're managing your cases and you have enough time, at least four skilled, four, four skilled codes per visit. So I, I, I usually don't pay much attention to the um, modality usage because it doesn't really pay very well, but I look at skilled care, right? So, um, and then of course, in the top five codes of every clinician, we want to see that the top five codes that they most commonly select are skilled codes. Right, and it's only eighty percent, so it's not like an incredible number. So four out of five of the top codes that are selected are skilled, right? And then we want to look at their clinical efficiency. You know, what percentage of a full book are we are is, is this particular clinician operating with? Right? Are they getting any referrals from past patients? Right? Ideally, one out of four. One out of four new patients will refer a friend or family member, but and that's only if you work on it. Right? You can go higher you're allowed, right? But at least one out of four should be referring a friend or family member. And you should see that as a quality indicator, right? So we're terrible salespeople in the main, you know, physical therapists and, you know, clinical practices. We're terrible at it. So we actually have a fairly low um, um, plan of care completion rate as a profession. It's, it's lower than 70%. Lower than 70% of our patients actually complete their plan of care you know, cap and gown ceremony, um, hugs and kisses, diploma, you know, the whole bit, um, you know, only 70% do 30% of the time you're, they're breaking up with you. Right. So if we are better able to get patients to complete their plan of care, we're going to win, win, win. Right. So that makes, that's money. Right. Hope you see that. Um, and can be sizable. The, if you look at arrival rate, shifting an arrival rate from say 90, 90% to 95%, we'll have a certain amount of money that you'll generate depending on the size of your practice. But if you take your average patient frequency and move it from 1.5 to two, it's like eight times what you'd pull down by improving your arrival rate. So um, pay attention to that one, right? But completion percentage, very, very key. Now you want to get this data together for every one of your clinical staff. And you want to go, where do you sit? Now, this ideal marker here that I show, um, don't, don't sweat it, right? If, you, um, if that's not your number, you don't feel good about that number, find the right number, right? But make sure you look at it from the point of view of providing great physical therapy in a fiscally responsible environment, okay? So don't go, oh, we, we see one patient an hour because we're all about the quality of care, you know? In, I don't know, I guess I'm not, I'm not trying to be really mean to anybody who does that. I would just say that you may not have the biggest practice in town. Okay. So when you get all that data together, um, it's time to have the talk. Okay. You're going to have to sit down 
and have a one-on-one conversation, never a group talk, because we're going to talk about productivity, expectations, how they've been performing against certain benchmarks. And so we really need to have a really nice knee-to-knee situation here. If you're the business owner, you have to decide what kind of information that you're willing to share, right? So as you talk to this individual, you want to validate everything good that this staff member is doing. Now, this is not just your clinical team, just so you know, this is all staff. You know, validate everything good that the staff member is doing, right? Don't have staff meetings where you just whine about how bad it's getting and what's happening in healthcare. It's like, God, they don't want to hear it. And it doesn't give them the call to action. They just go, I know it really is bad, right? If you sit down, take the time, have a knee to knee, go look, I want to talk to you about a few things that uh, is important. I am actually talking to every staff member. I'm having to make a lot of changes and I would like you to understand why and hopefully gather your agreement as to why I'm doing it this way, okay? Very, very important. And too often that we we kind of skip that, right? You know, and then what, what I would do next is I would have the, the, per, the staff member try to get into explaining what they think uh, quality care is. Like just say, so Sally, can you describe what you think quality care is? Now, when you say that, generally speaking, there's going to be that kind of a cricket sound like, um, uh, what do you mean? Well, I mean, how would you define what's quality of care? And you want to hear what they have to say. Just listen carefully. Just hear what they have to say and see where their head's at, right? If it, is, it, is it about raving fans? Is it about, um, you know, getting patients well? Is it about, um, you know, doing anything with that patient that creates word of mouth and referrals? Just hear what they have to say. No, nothing more, nothing less, right? Just want to hear what they have to say. Get their point of view before you dive into anything else, right? So then the next thing you want to do is you have the patient define what they think makes an employee valuable. You know, they get into like, what makes what makes an employee valuable? Say, Sally, what do, you, what do you think makes an employee valuable to me? And they might say, well, they do their job incredibly well. Um, they're reliable. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you kind of get them to see if they'll start painting the picture of like their, their, bringing in a multiple of income above what you pay them, right? Hopefully four times what you pay them, right? So um, key. So then you discuss the need to deliver our standards of care in a fiscally responsible manner. At this point, you know, you'd want to kind of get it, go over the statistics that are used to assess the standards of care for um, the practice. You know, what are those standards of care? So that's what I just went over in the other slide. You know, arrival rate, visits to discharge, average patient frequency, one out of four new patients refers a friend or family member, you know, all of those points I mentioned before. You go over them and then you get the staff member to really understand why these statistics are chosen. That's important because you can actually run into a situation where you are just getting the agreement, no cooperation problem, right? So you, that's why it's in caps. Get your staff member to truly understand why these statistics were chosen. Uh-huh. Uh, I see. Yes, that makes sense. Okay. Um, agreement and cooperation, right? That's going to be what you want to do. Now, from there, let's review their production record against these benchmarks. Okay. Now, if you've never done it, probably some haven't. If you've never done something like this, be gentle, right? Don't find fault. And don't pick some astronomical crazy number, right? 
Like if your therapist have been averaging 50 visits a week, don't set the target at 75, right? You know, and expect them to high five you, right? Um, you know, if you are seeing 30 visits a week, you will figure out how to take an entire day to do 30 visits a week or you know, a full week to do 30 visits, right? Um, it's just that we get used to going slow, the whole machinery starts going slow. So we want to be able to review the production against these standard of care benchmarks. We want to be able to look at them. So you want to take the moment to validate anything that's good, anything that's good um, that, you, that they're doing. Maybe, maybe their visits to discharge are good. Okay. Wow. Sally, you're, you're doing great here. You know, the patients are staying with you through the plan of care, right? But we're averaging like 1.3 times. Here I am, I'm looking over your coding and you always seem to bill Therex in manual. Um, it doesn't look like you're progressing your patient from the point of view of looking at the codes. Um, I don't see any therapeutic activities, no neuromuscular education. Um, you know, with, if I'm looking at these codes, I would think you're doing all the treatment on the treatment table with the patient staring at ceiling tile. And I've watched you and you don't practice that way. So maybe there's some things that we can do on this end that can better some of the coding that you're doing, which will not only um, be more representative of what you're doing with a patient, but it will also actually generate more revenue for the company. And in a time of a shrinking reimbursement dollar, it's kind of important we pay attention to that. You agree with that? I do agree with that. Excellent, right? So you go over any areas where they may have fallen short, you don't you know, thump them over the head, right? But you gain some agreement that you need to measure these metrics and measuring them are important is important. So you make sure that they buy into that, go into that, spend some time in there, get them to agree. We're talking leadership right now, right? We're not talking like all the mechanics of what to do. We're not talking about the know-how, everything. We're just saying, let's get everybody owning it instead of the owner losing sleep at night or trying to sell it from the stage during a staff meeting, right? But, but sit down, need and eat. This is your team. Get your team playing the same game you're playing, okay? Thanks so much for hanging in there and catching this particular podcast. I hope you got some things out of this that you can apply to your practice. Here's what I'd like you to do next. I'd like you to go to ptpracticesuccess.com. If what I've been saying to you in these podcasts have been resonating with you, and you would like to know me better. If you would like to just have my ear, throw out some things that are concerning you, and perhaps get some advice that could help you, make an appointment. I will tell you it's the number one way in which I do get new clients, but I won't waste your time. I will help you, regardless of whether we ever work together or not. So go to ptpracticesuccess.com and let's set up a time to chat. If you like what you heard today, consider our coaching program. Go to ptpracticesuccess.com and click on the link at the top of the page.